In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. This is the third Sunday of Great Lent, and today's Gospel reading tells the famous story of the prodigal son. Uh, the context in which uh, this, is, this story is being told, if we read the verses right before, it says that, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners draw near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So all the sinners were attracted to him, to hear him, and to be taught by him because of his gentleness and forgiveness. But there were many there who were judgmental. They rebuked Christ uh, because he showed that love and that gentle teaching and um, the general uh, gentleness that he was showing to these sinners uh, whose uh, lives were not on the right path and they were impure. So our Lord tells, in response to that, he tells them three parables. He tells them the story of the lost sheep, he tells the parable of the lost coin, and then he tells the parable of the prodigal son that we hear about today. His, um, all of them, of course, pointing to the love and the mercy of God and his God's zeal towards searching out and finding those who have gone astray and bringing them back into his loving embrace. His willingness to accept everyone and that he even seeks everyone out. That, that was the purpose of these three parables. So the parables do not just point to God's accepting sinners on, uh, on the outside, which it does, of course, but also describes the fall and the return of the faithful, those baptized in the faith that fall and also come back. It was the sheep in the flock that got lost and not like a sheep from a different flock that got lost. And the shepherd began to earnestly look for, for that one sheep. And it was the coin that belonged to the lady. It was one of ten coins that belonged to her, that when she lost it, she began to look for it all over the, the house. And it was one of the sons of the father that left and was lost, and who the father ultimately received back with great gladness and rejoicing and gentleness. For in Luke uh, chapter 19, it says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So in this story, though, we notice three personalities or three characters. We notice the father, we notice the prodigal son, and we also notice the brother of the prodigal son, the older brother. So we're going to talk about all three of them. First of all, the fallen son. He had some negative and positive characteristics. So let's look at the negative characteristics. So the son was, um, the prodigal son was not a stranger, right? But he was a son and uh, had been well-pleasing to his father. He was rich. He was free. He had a lot of benefits uh, with his father. Uh, but he was, because he thought that something was better on the outside. He thought the, uh, the grass was greener on the other side, right? And so he went and, and felt like he could find greater fulfillment uh, than that which what the father was given to him. But as the story goes on, we know that he was reduced from being a rich, free, well-bred son to a, mere, a very miserable condition, uh, worse than slaves and strangers and hirelings. Even the, the, uh, the people who were like hirelings in the father's house were in better shape than what he had. And in his imagination and pride, he thought, you know, he could get something better, that, uh, the, something that the world can offer, and maybe that he would find happiness, uh, greater happiness. So he plunged into not an ordinary sin, but a, a great sin, right? Because he went to the very extreme of evil. He uh, took his father's inheritance, and he spent it uh, in pleasures and, and, um, and fun, All uh, and he you know, through a prodigal living, he wasted all of those resources that belonged to his father, that he uh, asked his father and his father gave him. 
when we looked at last week's discussion again you know the the theme of holy week is like a journey or the sorry the lent is like a journey through uh symbolizing the spiritual life right that we take and we we saw how that the devil when in the temptation of christ tempts us with things that we already have and things that we have in greater measure than the world or that satan can ever provide to us um we saw how satan and and an evil world has um, influenced and aims to have us trade these glorious gifts that we have to things that are grossly inferior, not even worthy to be compared with what God has given us. That's the lie that's in the world. That's the lie of Satan, and that's the lie of the system of an evil world, that the things that we have are less, or are greater than the, uh, are the things that we have are less than the things that the world can give us. That's the lie that we have to see through. Of course, there are elaborate lies and very complex lies, but when you boil them down, that's really what it is. Satan, of course, is very jealous of these gifts that we have, the things that angels desire to look into. And of course, he's used to be one of those angels. He had those gifts. And the fact that he can never have them again, it's like when you have a gift and somebody takes it from you, it's better that you never had it in the first place, right? Because once you have it and lose it, it really hurts. And that's what that's what Satan had, right? He had those wonderful gifts of that relationship with God and the, and the joy and the peace that comes from that. But because of his pride, he lost it and lost it forever. So now he tries to take it away from us as well because he is immensely jealous. Jealous that you can't even put into words how jealous he and how much hate he has for us because of the gifts that God has given us. And the same thing happened to Adam and Eve. Satan says that if you sin against God, you will become like God. But the truth is that they were already like God. They were created in his image. And they lost that image when they listened to, to, to Satan and his temptation. They traded what was noble for that, was, for that which was corrupt. And that's the, that's the issue that we're faced with every day. He tempted Christ, our, our second Adam, using the same techniques like we talked about last week with things grossly inferior, but of course we know that he was victorious. We're constantly faced with that same choice in life. Sin in the form of desire to fulfill the body, and the desire for vainglory in the eyes of other people, and the desire for riches. The, 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 the lie is that these things give us nobility and fulfillment. That's the lie of the world. It's a great lie that Satan sends into the world. It's the doctrine of lies. It's the source of lies. But today we read how the prodigal son was deceived with that lie, with what the world offered, and he thought that he could have something better than what the father offered. He took his inheritance and squandered it and, it, and didn't find mercy and love among other people, but he was reduced to be like a pig, right? They, the, like he was comparing himself to a pig who pigs who ate better than what he had after he left his father's house. So we show, we see that, um, as this parable shows, that sin leads to misery, it leads to slavery, it leads to poverty, it leads to shame, it leads to a gross, unfulfilled life and a, and a miserable life. That's what sin where sin leads us. It does not give us fulfillment, joy, or happiness, but it leads us to uh, a, a really bad situation. But let's not be too hard on the prodigal son. He also had some positive characteristics, right? He did not despair, but allowed his condition to kind of awaken his conscience. And he went back to, uh, to his father after his conscience was awakened and he came to his senses. St. John Chrysostom says that to have fallen is not as bad as to remain fallen and not to get back up. 
not getting back up due to laziness or cowardness or despair, that's worse than not, you know, than sinning and not getting back up. It's better to sin and get back up than to sin and not get back up, right? And so um, despair is a tool used to cover up our lack of moral, moral purpose, our lack of courage, our, la our lack of seriousness in our spiritual life. And we say, oh, I despair. But the, the truth is, is that we lack that courage, right? And we have to ask God for that courage. The devil wants us to embrace despair until our soul perishes. Scripture, on the other hand, though, when, that's why it's so important to read the Bible, because it's full of a message of hope and full of a message of constantly reassuring us to come back to God who will always accept us and that we still have life and never despair of God's love. Never despair. I'll mention just a few of these verses so that we can be assured of God's um, desire for us to return, no matter what our situation is. In Jeremiah, it says, moreover, moreover, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slid and back Jerusalem in a perpetual and continuous backsliding? They hold fast and embrace deceit. They refuse to return. And in Micah chapter 7, we ought to say, Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. That's what we should say in the face of our enemy. When I fall, do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. And in Proverbs chapter 24, it says, A righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. Though he falls seven times, he's still called a righteous man because he rises again. And that's what makes the righteous man. Not whether or not a righteous person falls. That's not what makes somebody righteous. It's whether or not that person rises again. For I take no pleasure in death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. He, we always say that the Lord doesn't take pleasure in the death of a sinner, but that, that he returns and lives. In Zechariah it says, Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. In Proverbs it says, Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. But the prodigal son, he probably knew all these verses, and it awakened his heart, and he remembered the kindness and love toward, of his father, and he came back to his father. This is similar to what the prophets, uh, you know, taught. But when we look at, for example, um, the prophet Jonah, the prophet, right? He felt the rebuke and returned to his father, right? It, he did. The Bible says that he stayed in the belly of the well three days. The, I mean, you would think after the first day he'd start praying, right? No, he stayed in the belly for a day, and then a second day, and then finally on the third day he came to his senses, and he came back to his father. Some, there are many whales in the world that the Lord sends our way that cause us to awaken our conscience and cause us to return to Him. And we hope that we, right, we're sensitive enough that right when we encounter this whale, right when we see it in the water before it, swallowed, before it swallows us, that we awaken our conscience and raise our hearts to God, asking for forgiveness and, and entreating Him for repentance. In Galatians chapter 4, it says, And because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, we are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. 
So when we stumble, we need to remember that He is our Father and that He accepts us in His loving embrace and honors us and clothes us with righteousness. And that's what the prodigal son did. So that is a good quality that he had. So now let's go to the father. He was full of love and gentleness and joy at his return of his son, and he accepts his son like a like a doctor, right? Like a like a physician accepting someone who's sick. He brings him back to the state of health. Uh, he didn't deal with his prodigal son harshly, although you know he would have been right to, but he didn't. He instead he showed him a great level of uh, gentleness and support. Um, so that that separation that was existing before the two is not prolonged. He didn't want that separation to exist. Even to the point where he saw him walking towards him, he ran out to him. He was like, he couldn't deal with the fact that him and his son were separate for that long. So he ran out to him. And instead of rebuking him, he embraced him. Instead of his shameful and dirty clothes that he probably had on, he put a wonderful robe on him. He put a ring on his finger. He dressed him with honor and clothed him with righteousness. And that's what our Lord does too when we return to him. He clothes us and covers us with his own righteousness, not with our righteousness, but with his own. And that's what makes us worthy of taking communion and, and going to the Holy of Holies, not because of our own righteousness, of course, but only God's righteousness that he puts on us like the father of the prodigal son. We have the image of the lost sheep that he finds and puts around his neck. I love that image. He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's what 1 Timothy says. Return to me and I will return to you, as, as it says in Malachi. We see how the story of the prodigal son represents the impact of sin in our lives to its fullest measure. But it also shows how God is able to lift us up again. When it becomes habitual when sin becomes habitual in our lives and it's fully taking control of our lives, we see how sin weighs us down to such a degree that we become just like the pigs in the story and we eat like unhealthy and and very filthy food. Sin, sin brought him to his knees among the mud and among the filth of, of pigs. However, even here, when we, and even in such a situation, when we invite Christ into our lives and, and allows Him to enter into whatever scenario we're in, He raises us up and restores us to our siblings, the saints and the angels and the martyrs, just like His Father restored Him to His sibling and His household and closed Him with honor and supplications for Him. There's no failure, there's no failure where the ever victorious Lord Jesus Christ is. So when we invite Him into our life to take charge, there will ultimately be victory. Even when sin has completely brought, brought us to our knees and, and brought us to utter shame, he will bring victory in the same place that there was defeat previously. In the same place where there was defeat, he'll bring victory. He will restore us to our siblings, right? Those angels, the prophets, the saints, the martyrs, all the heavenly hosts and the spirits of the righteous uh, and the fathers who have been making deep supplications and prayers for us because they love us and they rejoice when we repent, unlike the older brother who was jealous when he saw the repentance of his younger brother. This, uh, when he restores us to our true siblings, the family of the saints and angels and martyrs and prophets, they rejoice greatly at our return. So we may have seen it with our very eyes, people who have repented and returned back to God and how God restores their life and their life turns around, um, becoming like angels instead of the former life that they had. Because all of this, because of the loving embrace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who always is willing to accept us. Finally, let's look at the brother, the older brother. He didn't have the same mind and heart as of his father. He cared more about the material gain and honor of among his uh, friends than the salvation of his brother. And so when his father rejoiced and threw him a party, he became very vexed and very troubled and very jealous. In the church, we always keep that God, God's mission in our mind, right? The salvation of our brothers and sisters above all. And we always keep that in our mind. That's a quality of all Christians. Our Christian and a Christian realizes that our salvation is nothing apart from the salvation of those around us. And we have that same mind of Christ. Uh, when we do have that same mind of Christ, it puts us in line with all the prophets of old, even when they didn't at first. When we look at, for example, again, Jonah the prophet, God asked him to look at the Ninevites and asked for them to repent and accept and, and so that they could be accepted by God. And Jonah was, when he saw the repentance, after being swallowed by the well and reluctantly dragged his feet to go preach to the Ninevites, and he saw that the Ninevites repented and God withdrew his anger and wrath from them, he was very angry and vexed, just like this older brother in today's story. To the point where God comes to him and says, is it right for you to be angry? Just like the father went to his older son, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah responded, it is right for me to be angry. And he says something very funny. He says, it is right for me to be angry, even unto death. That's how much his anger was. The heavens rejoiced in the salvation of 120,000 Ninevites. And what's the prophet's work, right? What is the Christian's work other than the salvation of people? The joy of the prophet is, what is that other than the repentance of people and so that they can get closer to God? That is the joy of the Christian as well. That is our joy. Jonah, however, just like the older brother in today's parable, did not apprehend God's mission. He, he did not have the mind of Christ. He didn't have the mind of God, but was deeply vexed and angry, even unto death. So God does something very interesting here. He compares Jonah's death, Jonah's anger, even unto death, with his own. He says, you have had pity, Jonah, on the plant for which you have not labored and made it grow, and which you in a night and in one night perished and grew. Shall I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which more than 120,000 persons cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? Shall I not be angry even unto death? He, out of the mouth of Jonah, he compares how much he is zealous for the salvation of others. And so we see God's anger, that holy anger on the cross, that anger that causes him to uh, search out that which was lost, which is all of humanity, and to save us and, and accept us in his loving embrace. God was angry even unto death for the salvation of others and for the return of those who lost their way. So God requires even of us to have that, um, even if, of people who are steadfast and righteous and living a holy life and a Christian life, and, and are very firm in their faith that they should still be earnest in doing His will, right? And, and zealous in doing His will, especially when it relates to the repentance and acceptance of others. That they should have the mind of Christ. We should all have that mind of Christ and rejoice in the return of others, even if those others had a very blameful life before. And not to be jealous or judgmental and object because God has called them back and accepted them. 
We say in the litany of the sick that he is the hope of those who have no hope, the help of those who have no help, the comfort of the faint-hearted, the harbor of those in the storm. We know that God accepts all people and we should accept all people as well. I'll end it with a quote from St. Cyril of Alexandria, who says, It is our duty to conform ourselves to God's will, for he heals those who are sick. He raises those who are fallen. He gives a helping hand to those who have stumbled. He forms anew a praiseworthy and blameless life to those who were in the depth of sin. He seeks those who were lost. He raises as from the dead those who have suffered spiritual death. Let us rejoice and let us in the company of the holy angels praise him and as being good and loving as gentle and not remembering evil for of such is our state of mind if our state of mind is like christ's state of mind christ will receive us and to whom be glory forever amen